All right. How many of you have ever been uh, shopping and you've come across, maybe it's in a marketplace or like a downtown or uh, something like that, but you've come across and there, there's a vendor that's selling what are effectively like knockoff products of really expensive things like sunglasses or purses or whatever those guys. Anybody ever done that before? Yeah, you're like, oh, we're above that. No, no, you're not. We all do that, okay? We're all looking for the cool thing that costs $12 instead of $1,200, right? That's what we're looking for. Everybody wants a deal. There's some great and really cool things out there that we can see and find, and I'm sure we've been able to find that. But every once in a while, you come across things that they made an effort to try to make it like the original, but they kind of missed. And I just want to show just a few that I found uh, that are out there. How many of you would like a new pair of Deets? Deets by Nani, uh, as opposed to Beats by Dre. So that's one possibility that you could have. Or listen, what about the, the famous, it's a bird, it's a plane. No, it's Special Man. <laughs> special Man. Love that one. Thank God. Thank God for that one. And of course, who isn't always looking for their sweet new pair of hikies? Hikies with the double swoosh, the little extra hook swoosh part in there, just to make sure they're not violating any trademarks. And then, of course, ladies, you have always been looking uh, for one of those nice new purses from uh, Dolce and, and, and Banana. So there it is. Uh, those are some great ones. <laughs> Listen. Uh, that, that don't quite pass the, the, the mustard, so to speak. They're, they're cheap imitations. They're incredibly inauthentic. And one of the cultural values we actually have as a church is to, to build a very real and authentic community here. It's one of the things that we hold deeply, that we want to be a real people who are able to be real with each other and real before the Lord, not to have this bright, shining, perfect people who never have issues, never have bad days, never have any failings, but just a people that are that know deep down we've all fallen short, we've missed the mark, and we have a profound need to be saved. That's what our, the makeup of this church are profoundly broken people who need to be saved. That's what we are. But I think if you look back sometimes at church history, there's a push against real and being authentic, right? People pretending to have perfect faith, right? That, where that lack of authenticity often begins to manifest in ways of like shaming people who might have questions, who might feel like, I don't have this whole thing figured out. Like, is there a place to be able to come in and maybe not have it all together and to ask some sincere and real and authentic questions? Because I think there is times where the church has shamed people who might have doubts, who might wrestle with issues of faith, who might struggle to have deep understanding. They might be looking for deep understanding, and there's this thought, well, listen, you just need to have faith. You just need to get over it as if asking questions is a bad thing. And listen, this church, but make no mistake, listen, this church is meant to walk by faith. We want to be a people who walk by faith. But that doesn't mean that the church should shun people and not open its arms to those who have questions. We should be, a, in fact, I think the church should be the safest place in the world to come and ask questions to deal with these matters of faith. So we want to be deeply rooted in our faith, but we don't need to be afraid of questions. Not at all, right? 
Not to mention the fact that I think the church ought to be raising up men and women who are able to help answer some of those hard questions that exist. So we want to take time throughout this series to begin to ask questions. The church simply can't be afraid to answer questions. They can't be afraid of questions that come. In fact, we need to lean into it. Because listen, our faith is incredibly real and based on absolute truth, or it's empty and a lie. It's one of the two things, but there's really no gray area in this. Either what we believe is absolutely 110% true that you can lean fully into, or this thing is a joke, smoke and mirrors, and it's nothing. It's one of those two, but it's not in the middle. There is no middle, and if, if this is absolutely true, then we should be able to answer the questions that come. And this church, New River, listen, we're gonna value authenticity and being able to go there. We're not, we're not about fakes, not about imitations, we're not about smoke and mirrors, not don't look at the guy behind the curtain. We're not doing that as a church. We're not gonna be that way. We're gonna lean in and answer. We wanna be an honest, integrous, faithful people to examine those important things in life that actually affect our everyday lives. That's what we want to do. And listen, that's important because hear this. There's storms that are coming. They will come. In fact, Jesus said, listen, there, are, there will be days and moments of trouble. And every one of us want to have our faith journey anchored in that solid foundation that we have in Christ. And so we're going to look at some of those questions. We're going to look and ask some of those over the next several weeks. We're going to be pulling up some of those that are really difficult. But before we get to those questions, one of the ones that I wanted to answer first is because it's so foundational. And it starts with this question. Can we trust the Bible? Can we trust? That's what the, the question we're going to lean into today is can we trust the Bible. Can we trust the scriptures? Can we really trust it, right? Because first and foremost, our deepest understanding of who God is through the revelation of who Jesus was, the ways in which the church is meant to operate, it actually comes from the scripture. And if we don't have a rock solid foundation in what the scripture has to say to us, then it begins to erode the whole rest of what we believe in. So we're going to answer that question today, right? Because that's one of those questions. Listen, I'm certain you've heard it before. Isn't the, isn't the Bible kind of one of those legends written by some people, some dudes a long time ago, well before there was enlightenment, well before we had an understanding of science and all of the quote unquote modern things? Isn't that what the scripture is? To which likely you would answer that question. No, that's not what it is. You'd say the Bible is God's word, right? That God used various humans and their unique personalities, but God made sure that we had every word we need. But if I asked us why we believe that, most of our answers, most of those answers would come out in some of these ways. Listen, things like, well, I was taught that the Bible is God's word. I was taught that. And listen, if you had that privilege growing up, that's an amazing thing. I thank God for parents and teachers and churches that taught the truth of God's word. But can we just acknowledge for a minute that just because you get taught something doesn't make it actually true? Just because you're taught something doesn't make it true, right? I remember watching commercials, and I felt quite certain that if I bought Jordans, that I would run faster and jump higher. And the truth is, 
is I never did. I just was a slow white guy. And that was just what I was. And I tried to play basketball, but the shoes didn't really help. In my mind, they did. But we can, listen, you can be told by a number of people all kinds of different things. It doesn't make it any more true than it actually is. But far more significant, we have as a church part of this worldwide movement that we're taking the gospel into places that part of being a follower of Jesus is to go out throughout the world and be able to, to say, to, and, and really actually to encounter those who are saying, well, Buddhism is right, or Islam is right, or Hinduism is right, or Judaism is right, right? And we're stepping in to challenge those beliefs that just because you were taught something doesn't make it true. Just because you're taught something, just because you're taught something doesn't make it true. People throughout the world are being taught things that aren't necessarily true. Two, you might say, listen, well, listen, I just have faith that the Bible is God's word. I believe. But here's the question. Does the existence of faith create what is true? Because we can truly believe in that which is false. Uh, there was a, certainly what we saw at 9-11, there was a huge uptick in the idea of radical Islamic terrorism. And one of the things that those terrorists were taught is that they'll be rewarded with 70 virgins for their jihadist act to Allah. That's what they believed. And I, I think those that went down that road are going to be in a, under in a difficult, painfully, painful, hard reality on the other side of that decision. And I'm not here that, uh, to say that faith is not important. I'm just simply saying this. Faith doesn't create truth. Faith doesn't create truth. Hear this. Faith is deeply rooted in what is already true. Faith doesn't create the truth. Faith is already rooted in that which is true. You might uh, say things like, Lewis, it seems like the Bible is trustworthy. True. It also seems like the Titans are going to be good this year, but that doesn't mean you buy Super Bowl tickets, truly. It seems like something sounds good or true, but that, does that really make it true? I, even the Bible cautions us against that in Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a person or a way that feels good, but in the end, it actually leads to death. There are lots of things. There are lots of things that can seem like they're great, that don't always end up very right. Now, listen, I, I just want to say this. All of those things that I just said, they're all great. I think being taught and teaching the Bible is truth and God's word is good, and we need to do that. And having faith that God's word has been preserved and given to us is critical, too. And the apparent goodness of the word of God is to be leaned upon, and we should have incredible, life-changing experiences that we can personally share that validate that God is so real and so powerful and his word is so true. But listen, and I want to say this with clarity, when life gets tough, when we hear skeptics' questions about the Bible or honestly, especially in today's world, when the scripture challenges what is normative for ourselves or what's normative for the culture and scripture says and that's not okay, then you and I have to have something that's so much deeper. We gotta have something that's deeply anchored in 
truth, and reality. And that's certainly not just true of us. That was true for those that were first following Jesus, those first ones out of the gate. And so the disciple of the apostle Peter, he writes two letters to the followers of Jesus that are scattered all throughout the Roman Empire. And the reason he wrote these letters is because they're suffering economically, because at times they're being physically beaten. They, are, they have friends and family that are literally being put to death for no other reason than that they believed in Jesus. That was it. It put their lives in peril. Now, I have personally, that sounds like a faraway time, I have personally sat in front of pastors. Been to a couple of different places. I was in India. I was preaching at a conference for pastors in India. And they're sharing their story of how they had lost friends. Their churches had been burned down. That they had lost loved ones, even family members. They were testifying to it because, simply because they would not recant Jesus. That wasn't, that was 2013. This is real. And that the truth, the belief, the anchoring of our faith becomes so critical when we start to think about these issues. That's what they were experiencing. They had centered their lives on Jesus here as, Paul, as Peter was writing these letters. And they were doing it based on what had been written by those faithful men who recorded what Jesus had done. And it was costing them an incredible deal. It was, it was costing them their lives. And the question is this, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Can I trust what's been written down about the life of Jesus? That scripture is trustworthy. And I love what Peter says. I love what the, this word says. Second Peter chapter one, you can go to verse six. We're gonna start in verse 16. Second Peter chapter one, verse 16. It says, for we did not know, we did, I'm sorry, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Hear this. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Listen, Peter's saying what we all know to be concrete foundation for getting down to the truth. Were there eyewitnesses, period? And the answer is the New Testament can be trusted because it was written down by eyewitnesses, those that were on the ground and saw it. Isn't that what he's saying there? He's saying there, I was there and everything that I'm telling you about, I saw with my eyes. But he's saying, listen, I'm suffering just like you, maybe even more. And I'm telling you, Jesus is worth everything because I've seen it with my own eyes. There's often this belief, I think, that's perpetuated that the four gospels that they were written 
and even really the rest of the New Testament was written, they were just myths that were made up to exaggerate the claims of Jesus, right? Because some say that the early apostles created or they greatly exaggerated the story of Jesus to create this religion where they were the leaders of this new movement. But that's not true. And in fact, uh, there was a movie that came out uh, several years ago called The Da Vinci Code. I don't know, anybody ever read a book or see the movie Da Vinci Code? You're like, can we even admit that in church? I don't know, right? Because there was a whole, you know, the church came out at greatly, came out against it greatly when all that came out. I've seen the movie and have read the book. It's super fascinating, super interesting storytelling. But I'm here to tell you, it's the same argument that they've been making for, from, literally from the get-go, right? The book's leaning on this idea that basically when, Christianity became the national religion under the emperor Constantine that they kind of switched some things, ginned up the story and turned Jesus into a God when before that he was just a man. It's the same thing that's been happening over and over. That same story has been happening over and over and over since the beginning. Listen, there's, here's the problem. It's actually the exact opposite of that argument. Because if you're looking at the actual truth, the content of the New Testament is too counterproductive to be a legend. It's too counterproductive to actually tell you any uh, kind of uh, ginned up story, right? Because if the apostles are creating a religion and not just merely reporting what had happened, do you think they would have actually portrayed themselves in the ways that they did? Because when you read the gospels, the disciples are a mess. They're a mess, they're not trying to tell, they're not trying to make themselves hero inside of the, the heroes inside of this new religion. It's a mess. I, you guys uh, ever get secondhand embarrassment? Do y'all ever do that? Like you see somebody in a grocery store acting like a crazy person and you feel embarrassed for them. You ever do that? Of course you do. We all do, right? I don't know if you, sometimes when you read the gospels, I get secondhand embarrassment. All right, because Jesus looks at Peter and says, get thee behind me, Satan. And you're like, oh gosh, that's, now it's awkward, right? You feel that just a little bit. Or when James and John are arguing about who's gonna sit closest to Jesus in paradise and you're just like, oh dude, that's embarrassing. You guys just clearly don't have this thing figured out, right? They're doing that. Or the mom's like trying to advocate for the kids. And you're, I don't know if you remember reading the story where the literally James and John's mom is trying to advocate for them. And these are grown men and the mom's stepping in. It's like, gosh, man, sorry about your mom. Yeah, you just don't even know what to say. Like it's secondhand embarrassment. Guys, they're telling story. They're not trying to create these amazing legends and this new and all these great things. In fact, all they're constantly showing is how far the gap is between who they were and who the son of God was. And they're constantly just telling the truth over and over and over. There's nothing to be fabricated. It's the exact opposite. They're saying we didn't have it. We didn't know, but he knew they were saying literally the gospel account is all the way up to the moment where Jesus was crucified. They still didn't understand it. They're actually telling us the only one who really knew that Jesus was going to the cross was a little, little girl who's anointing his feet with her hair and just saying, go, be anointed on your way to death. And no one else gets it. They're trying to tell the honest truth because you know what? They were eyewitnesses. They saw it. 
They saw it. And speaking of guys, if anyone's creating a religion in the Roman Empire, they certainly would not have made women to be heroes. And listen, throughout the New Testament, you see women as heroes all throughout it. That might not sound like a big deal to you and I in 2022, but it was a huge deal in the Roman Empire because women were second-class citizens at best. They were objects. That's all they were. Women were not, hear this, women were not allowed to be witnesses in a trial in a court of law because it was felt that they couldn't be trusted to be accurate. That was true of the Roman Empire. Of the Roman Empire. Who's the first eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus? Mary of Magdalene. Mary Magdalene. Mary of Magdalene who, by the way, was not only just a woman, but one that had a sketchy past. The scripture's being written in a way that's real and authentic. They're just telling the story of actually how it went. <laughs> the gospels are clear over and over. Not only, by the way, did Jesus have, did he first present himself to a woman, but they were his followers and they bankrolled the ministry. You can read it all throughout the scripture. If you're trying to make up a believable story in first century Rome to support and create power for this new religion, you don't write the way that they wrote. I don't think that they would have been so honest about Jesus struggling in the Garden of Gethsemane and just having to deal with his own emotion before the Father. They certainly wouldn't have had him dying on a cross if you actually look at Paul, uh, Paul's confession to the Corinthian church, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, listen, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But hear this, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. In other words, you don't fake a storyline that offends the very people you're trying to preach to. They weren't trying to create their own thing. They weren't trying to gin Jesus up. They saw it with their eyes and they said, it's foolishness to the rest of the world, a stumbling block, but it's true. Even more, hear this, listen, the message was simply too costly to be made up. If you think about it, According to what's written in the New Testament, every apostle suffered physical persecution. They were beaten, stoned, and the like because, Jesus, because they preached Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. Of the 12 apostles, of the 12 apostles, church history tells us that 11 of them died a martyr's death and that the other was left, John was left on an island deserted to either go crazy or die by himself. All of them, every, listen, every one of them could have avoided their suffering, their persecution, their death. All they had to merely say is Jesus Christ was not God and he did not rise from the dead. Yet none of them ever recanted their faith in Jesus, even in the face of being tortured, facing death. If you really press in here, listen, there are throughout people, uh, throughout history, people who have died for their faith died for what they believed in, right? The extent of the sacrifice doesn't say a lot about how true what they believe is. As I mentioned, suicide bombers. 
think that they're pleasing God or Allah in what they do. So they sacrifice deeply for what is a lie. But hear this, when it came to that which is singularly foundation to our faith, the resurrection of Jesus, the 12 apostles knew whether it was real or not real because they were eyewitnesses. If, if it were a lie, they knew it was a lie. If it was real, they knew it was real, period. And listen, men and women will not suffer torture and die for that which we know to be a lie, period. It's not in our constitution. You might be willing to deceive other people for the sake of a lie. Might be willing to propagate a lie for money or for fame. Certainly we're capable of that. But when it comes to a choice of life or death, I don't think anybody dies for a lie. Dies for a lie, which you know beyond a shadow of a doubt. All 12 died, hear this, for what they saw. They died for what they saw. And there were, of course, many others that saw Jesus resurrected. Scripture says there were 500. Many of them also died for what they saw. And Peter is clear here. What he wrote to those early followers of Jesus, what he suffered and died for, he saw with his own eyes. That's not all he said. Look at 2 Peter Back to chapter one, verse 19. Here's this. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Knowing this, verse 20, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke how from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That other thing, he's saying not only were we eyewitnesses, but this, the ultimate author of scripture is God. That's what he was saying. God used over 40 men over a period of 1,500 years to write the scripture. And throughout the Old Testament, there were prophecies about the Messiah. And the fulfilled prophecies are evidence of God's authorship. Listen, we can safely say there are at least... 50 direct prophecies in the Old Testament, scriptures written before the life of Jesus, that testify to the Messiah, all of which, all 50, Jesus fulfilled completely. A mathematician was calculating the odds of Jesus fulfilling, simply hear this, eight just eight of the prophecies, not the 50 that he actually fulfilled, but if you just took eight of those prophecies, right? The mathematical odds of Jesus fulfilling simply eight prophecies would be one times 10 to the 17th power, which is a number I don't know how to communicate. So far beyond. In fact, uh, the, I'll let Lee Strobel, he wrote a, a, an incredible paragraph or just a, a statement about trying to get your head around Jesus fulfilling just eight of these prophecies, just eight of these. And here's what he says. He says, I imagine the entire world, the entire world having been covered with white tile that was one and a half inches square. Every bit on dry land on the planet with the bottom of just one tile painted red. Then I pictured a person being allowed to wander for a lifetime around all seven continents. He would be permitted to bend down only one time and pick up a piece of tile. 
what are the odds it would be the one tile whose reverse side was painted red? The odds would be the same as just eight of the Old Testament prophecies coming true in any one person throughout history. That's how authentic Jesus was. It's without question. And that wasn't just eight, 50 prophecies. Listen, and if you want to talk about the accuracy of Scripture, you can ask any true historian this question. Doesn't have to be a Christian historian. When it comes to the authenticity and the accuracy of the actual texts that we hold, the Bible is a literal historic marvel. Unlike any historical document in the history of mankind, case in point, how many of you have ever heard of Aristotle? Heard of Aristotle? Aristotle lived around 350 BC. It's about 350 years before Jesus. When it comes to the words, the teachings, the sayings, the philosophies of Aristotle, we have 49 of his manuscripts, 49 of his manuscripts. The most old or the most ancient of any of the manuscripts we have of Aristotle's writings, his sayings, his philosophies, it was written in 1100 AD, 1100 AD, meaning that is 1400 years from the time that Aristotle actually lived and wrote something to the time we actually have a manuscript of what he actually said. 1400 years. And I know what you're thinking. I remember when we were in history class and they taught this like this was, this was absolute absolute truth and absolute history. But the truth is 1,400 years between when he wrote something and, when, and the earliest writings we have, 1100 AD, okay? The New Testament was written between 48 to 96 AD in that window. You don't know how many manuscripts we have? 24,633 ancient manuscripts. Not 49, 26,000. And you know, the most ancient copies we had are within 75 years of the actual original. Now, when you start talking about antiquity and history, what you're saying, you can ask any historian this, what you're saying is this is the most historical, ancient manuscript, article of piece of history, the most accurate that has ever been seen or known in the entire world. This is without question the preservation of the God of the universe to his people. And it's without question. It's not even close. Aristotle is one of the closest ones you can get to. Scripture, hear this, is a marvel. Its accuracy is unparalleled. Only God could make something like that happen. And this is why scripture is shouting. 2 Timothy 3. All scripture, hear this, is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. What Paul's saying to Timothy is the scripture can be trusted. And the truth is, I've only begun to scratch the surface well more than what we have time for this morning. But it's why Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7. He says, listen, therefore, everyone who hears the words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Anyone who listens to this, 
that Bible you have in your hands. It's like a man who built his house on the rock. And this, we said, what do we say? The storms in life are gonna happen. And Jesus says, well, I know about those storms. What's the promise when the storms come? Verse 25, and the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. This is the call. This is the question. How much do we anchor ourselves in the most beautifully preserved, powerful document, declaration of who God is? How much do we put our soul into it? How much do we orient our life around it? It's not just proving that it's real and true and good. It's how much are we listening to it and sinking our whole world into it? to be those that when the rain comes, we stand firm. God gave us his word and has preserved it faithfully. It's true. This is all that I could fit in a 30-minute window. I'm telling you, the proof goes on and on and on. This is the word of God. It was seen by eyewitnesses. It was accounted for in a way that no other document in all of human history has ever been accounted for. And it's preserved for us. They saw it and they were willing to give their lives for it. And the Lord's saying, are we willing to give our life to him in the same? We're willing to orient our heart and life around the truth of God's word. You guys stand with me. I'm gonna ask our team to come up. I just want to take a minute. We're just going to take a moment. We're going to close out here in just a few minutes. We're going to finish in worship. But the truth this morning, uh, that I, I think the Lord wants to begin to stir in us. In fact, I think we just want to take a moment to just ask him what truth he wants to anchor in our hearts. We ask the question, is the Bible trustworthy? Can the word of God be found trustworthy and faithful? But there's something more that the Lord wants to give to you. Would you just ask him here in this moment? Lord, what do you want to say to us about your word, about the scriptures? Would you just ask him that question? Is there anything you want to say to my heart?
different philosophies and the ideas that are floating about. Even some that have tried to invade the church. And the Lord's just calling for us to ask the question, Lord, how do I see your word? Am I built upon the sand or am I built upon the rock? some of you that just, you're going, I know I want a deeper foundation. Lord, would you give me a deeper foundation, a deeper trust in you? That my world is oriented around you. And maybe the Lord just stirring your heart to study and know his word in a, in a fresh way. we just together wherever we're at and whatever you're doing I'm just asking Lord right now that we would put our full faith and trust in you in a a new way today that we'd find our hearts hungry for your word in fact I think maybe that's even one of the sweetest and most simple prayers Lord make me hungry hungry for your word hungry for your truth you faithfully preserved it we want to say yes to it we thank you for speaking in this moment and revealing your truth to us. Now, Lord, we choose to give you our hearts. I thank you for meeting us in the question in our mind, but Lord, we want to release our heart to you. So we give this to you today. We love you, God. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we thank you for giving us your truth. So stir us now. We finish in worship. We love you, God. In your name we pray. Let's worship.